Let's join the worship center at Life Church, where the service is already in progress. We're continuing to talk about Jonah. We're going to finish that up today. And we're going to look at the fourth chapter of Jonah. And we're going to look at Jonah's reaction. Last week we saw how God did amazing things with the people of of Nineveh. He brought an entire nation to repentance. An entire nation fell on their face before the one true and living God and repented and, and gave their heart and their life to God. And now we're going to look at Jonah's reaction because, you know, when God does things... Many times we don't have the reaction that we ought to have. And, and sometimes we, we begin to question, you know, why did you do it that way, God? Why didn't you do it the way I thought it would be? Why did you have to do this or that? So we're going to look at Jonah's reaction and we're going to see how we can find ourselves when God does things that we don't really think he should have done. Have you ever thought that maybe God didn't do something in a way that you thought it should have been done and he didn't answer a prayer in a way that you thought it should have been answered. You know, we face times where we don't quite understand why God does what he does. And you know, to be honest, we will never fully understand God until we meet him one day and we're in his presence in heaven with him. Um, Because Paul wrote, we see through glass darkly, we don't have all the answers right now. And so what do we do when God does something that we don't quite get? That we don't understand why he chose to do what he did? What do we do? What's our response? How should we respond? Well, let's look at what Jonah did. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So, the whole city of Nineveh repented before God. They fell on their face. The king stood to his feet and said, We will worship the one true and living God. The entire nation went on a fast. The entire kingdom went on a fast. And here they are, repenting before God. And Jonah goes outside of the skirts of the city. And he's sitting up on the mountaintop looking down at the city, mad as a wet hen. Now, why in the world is Jonah mad? It seems like he would be excited. You know, he went and preached. He was the reason that God, he was the vessel that God used to bring forth revival. He went and he said, repent or the judgment of God is coming. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you, O Lord, is this not just what I said when I was still in my own country? Is this not what I told you would happen, God? Have you ever said that to God before? He does something that you don't get and he said, Isn't this what I told you would happen? This is why I fled to Tarsus. For I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness. And when sinners turn to you to meet your conditions, you revoke the sentence of evil against them. Here he is mad that they repented. Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech you, take my life from me. He's having a bit of an overreaction here. They repented. The whole entire nation did. And he is down here begging God to kill him. Have you ever been in a situation where God didn't do things exactly like he wanted? And you felt, well, take me now, Jesus. Better to be up there with you than be in all this mess down here. It's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, 
Do you do well to be angry? What are you so frustrated about? So Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made himself a booth there. And he sat there under the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So he was still looking for judgment to come on the city. We're going to find out why in a minute when we look back at the history of this thing. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and to deliver him from his evil situation. So God's providing for Jonah even when he's grumpy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad to have the protection of the gourd. But God prepared a cutworm when the morning dawned the next day and it smote the gourd so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God prepared an east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah so that he fainted and wished himself to die. So he's up on the mountaintop pouting because things didn't go like he wanted them to. Have you ever been on the mountaintop of your life sitting there pouting because it didn't happen the way you thought it was supposed to happen? Because life didn't go according to your plan and what you thought should happen and how you thought. I know I've been there before. Things didn't work out the way I quite wanted them to. And what do we do? We get cranky about it. Well, God, I figured you were going to do this. And God, I figured you were going to do that. And God, why didn't you do this? So Jonah's up on the mountaintop pouting with the sun beating down on himself, wishing he was dead. And he keeps telling God, it's better for me to die than live. And then God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the loss of the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's not even reasonable at this point. He's so caught up in the way and his will and how he wanted it done that he's like, I'm mad. Yeah, I'm mad enough to die. Why don't you just kill me now, Jesus? He's not even thinking rationally. And when things don't go like we want them to, we tend to do the same thing like Jonah. We tend to quit thinking rationally. We tend to build a bunch of stuff up in our head and think that the whole world's falling apart. We're like Chicken Little running around yelling, the sky's falling, when really it's not. And we get so beside ourselves and so overworked and so worked up about things that don't even make sense because the whole kingdom of Nineveh repented. Jonah should be rejoicing. He should be happy. He should be exceedingly glad because a whole entire kingdom turned back to God. But we'll see in a minute, Jonah didn't want them to turn back to God. Jonah wanted some vengeance on them. Then the Lord said, You have had pity on the gourd, for which you have not labored to make it grow, which came up at night and perished at night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people, not yet old enough to know their right hand from their left hand, and also many cattle not even accountable, not even at the age of accountability yet? You had mercy on the gourd when it withered up and died and you didn't and you didn't get mad at that. 
But you're mad because I showed mercy to a city where 120,000 people aren't even at the age of accountability to know right from wrong. Why did Jonah hate Nineveh so much? Well, if you find out who the Ninevites were, you'll understand why Jonah hated them. Why he was mad at them. You see, the people of Nineveh were with a group of Assyrians. And they were sworn enemies of Israel. In fact, some of these people would even be the ones who would take Israel captive in years to come. And Jonah was angry at them. Because they were against him and his people. They didn't like him. And he wanted justice for what he thought had been done to the Israelites. He wanted God to get them back. Because the Ninevites were enemies of Israel. And so Jonah was wanting justice. And God was sending a message that one day salvation would come to the Gentiles. Because remember, the Ninevites... They weren't Israelites. And before this time, God had only come to the people of Israel. This is the first time where we see God having mercy and bringing the gospel, the good news of knowing God, to people outside of Israel. God was setting up a type and a foreshadow of when Jesus would come to the earth and he would die for our sin and be raised back to life. And then he would tell Peter and them, go and tell the Gentiles. This isn't just for the Jews. This isn't just for the Israelites. This message is for people of all the earth. God was showing a picture of things to come when the gospel would be preached to the entire world. But see, Jonah, he didn't like the way God was handling things. He had his own agenda. And he thought that the people of Nineveh were wicked and they should be killed. He was like, yeah, that's why. And that's why he ran from God to begin with. Because you notice in chapter 4, he said, Is this not what I told you when I was at home? That if I go and preach to them, they're going to repent and you're going to have mercy on them? He sounds a little mixed up in his thinking. He's not really walking in too much love, is he? What do we do? What's our, what should be our reaction when God does something that's not in our will, in our agenda, in our way? We shouldn't react like Jonah. I mean, he blew this thing way out of proportion. God delivered Jonah in the belly of the well, even after he disobeyed God's orders to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. There was a great revival. But yet Jonah was mad because things didn't go how he thought they should go. I want to encourage us this morning to not get grumpy when things don't go according to our plan. Because remember, even Jesus goes by God's plan. When he was in the garden before he, before he went to the cross, he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What was he praying? He was saying, you know, God, 
I don't, I'm not really looking forward to this whole crucifixion thing. So if you could devise an alternate route here, that would be really nice. Because I'm not really looking forward to being beat with a whip. And I'm not looking forward to hanging on a cross. But nevertheless, it's not about me. It's about your will. It's about the way you want things done. It's about doing your will on the earth. Even Jesus had a moment. A Jonah moment. Where he was questioning, can this happen any other way? Do we really have to spare the people of Nineveh? Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh spared because he thought they should get justice because of what they had done and would do to Israel. But God is a God of mercy. And if we will repent, he will allow us to repent. (coughs) I'm glad that God saved the people of Nineveh because it was a picture that one day God would save you and I. We may not, you know, we may not be direct. We might be Gentiles. I don't know what your lineage is. I don't know what your tree looks like when you go back far enough. Who knows, we may have some Israelites in the crowd today. I I hadn't checked my tree back far enough to see how it goes. But I'm glad that God showed us a picture that one day repentance would belong to all men if they would accept it. They had done some evil things. But God was willing to show mercy on them if they would turn back to him. I'm glad that God is willing to show mercy on us when we turn back to him. When we truly repent. Notice they weren't just faking repentance. They were like they weren't just oh that was a good story. If from what we read last week we saw that they were fasting and weeping and mourning. They their face hit the ground. They were sorry for the wrongs that they had done. They had true repentance in their heart. And God spared them. So what should be our reaction? Jonah's reaction wasn't good. We end the book of Jonah with him irritated at God because he didn't do it, God didn't do it his way. So what should we do? When things don't go our way. Because I promise you, there will be times in your life where things don't go your way. I promise you, probably before your head hits the pillow, something will not go exactly like you thought it should. It happens to me on a regular basis. Now my hubby would say that's because I'm too much of a planner. And when you make too many plans, then you have way too many opportunities for things to not go your way. But I like a good plan. I'm working on not being stuck to my plan so much. I remember he told me, he said, well, when we get married, you just watch out because all that plan is going to go out the window because it won't ever end up like we planned it. What do we do when we feel like God doesn't do what we want? Well, let's look at Scripture. Look at Habakkuk. 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no fruit on the vine, 
Though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food. This guy's having a bad day. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my personal bravery, my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble or suffering or responsibility. So what's our reaction? Well, Rebecca said, it doesn't matter if the fields are dry. It doesn't matter if I plant stuff and it doesn't bloom. It doesn't matter if there's no fruit on the vine. It doesn't matter if there's no olives and no olive oil. It doesn't matter if there's no food. It doesn't matter if there's no flocks and the folds are cut off and no cattle. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if things go the way I think they should. It doesn't matter if my plan goes the way I think it should. I will rejoice in the Lord. So what should be our answer when things don't go our way? When it seems like we didn't get what we wanted? The Bible says, I will rejoice in the Lord. So our first response when things don't go how we think that they should, should be one of praise and thanksgiving to God. Why? Because it's not about our will. It's not about our way. It's not about what we think should happen. It's about God's will. It's about His ways. It's about what He wants done on the earth. When Jesus taught us to pray, He said, Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray God's will. And if it doesn't go like we think it should, our first reaction should be that of praise. It doesn't matter. I praise you anyway. I praise you anyway. It doesn't matter if there's no blooms on the tree. I praise you anyway. It doesn't matter if there's no crops in the field. I praise you anyway. It doesn't matter if the flock is cut off and there's no meat in the freezer. I praise you anyway. It doesn't matter if things don't go my way. I praise you anyway. I exalt the victorious God of my salvation. It might not look like victory right now, but I praise you anyway. It might not seem like things are going in my favor, but I praise you anyway. The Lord will be my strength in my hard times. The Lord is my personal bravery so I can stand and and having done all as Ephesians 6 says, stand therefore. I praise you anyway. The Lord is my invincible army. He makes my feet like Han's feet. I will praise you anyway. The Lord makes me to walk. I will not be frozen in terror, but I will walk and make spiritual progress anyway because I praise you anyway. When things don't go our way, our first reaction should be, I praise you anyway. It doesn't matter because it's not about my will anyway. It's about what God wants done on the earth. I praise you anyway. Not only do I praise you, but I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be happy anyway. I praise you anyway. I'm going to rejoice anyway. James 5, 13 through 15. 
Is any among you afflicted or ill-treated or suffering evil? We all go through times of affliction. We all go through times where we don't feel like we were treated like we were supposed to be treated. We all go through times where we feel like we're suffering evil. What should a man like that do? Well, James lays out a plan. He should pray. Is anyone glad in heart? He should sing praises to God. Is anyone sick? Call on the elders of the church. Have them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the Lord's name. And the prayer that is of faith will save him who is sick. And the Lord will restore him. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So, are we being ill-treated? Are things not going the way that we thought they should? What should be our reaction? He should pray. He should pray. And you know what I found when I start praying? When things don't go like I want them to? The situation may not change that much. But I change. And my attitude changes. And the way I perceive what's going on changes. Many times in life we make mountains out of molehills. And we blow things up that really aren't that big of a deal at all. Those of you who are married or dating or, or whatever you, you might be doing in a relationship or a friendship, you all can relate to this. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought that somebody was just so mad at you? And that they were just so upset with you. And you just didn't understand why. Because you didn't see what you had done wrong. And you just thought that, that the situation was huge. And when you finally cried enough. And when you finally, uh, you know, got it all sorted out in your head. And you went to talk to the person about it. They didn't even know what you were talking about. They weren't even offended in the first place. Or maybe somebody said something to you that just deeply hurt you. And it offended you. And whenever you finally decided to talk to him about it, you find out they didn't mean the thing like you took it. That we had misconstrued it. And we had blown it out of proportion. And that wasn't really what had happened at all. We need to pray. When things don't go our way, we need to pray. Why? Because God will give us a different perspective. He'll help us to remember it's not about us. It's about Him and His will and His way. So what's our our answer for when God doesn't do things the way we think it should or when people don't respond the way that we think that they should to situations in life? We should praise God anyway. And we should pray anyway. Romans 5, 3-6 through 6. Moreover, let us be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our troubles. And rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. What's our answer when we go through tough times? When God doesn't answer our prayer how we thought it should have been answered. We are full of joy now. 
We are excited and full of joy. Why? Nehemiah 8.10 tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's why joy is so important. If we walk around like this all day, this is how our day is going to go. God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to have true joy. Authentic joy. He wants us to be in joy and have a good life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have and enjoy your life in abundance to the full until it overflows. God wants us to have and enjoy life. But it's only going to come if we choose it. To rejoice is a choice. Well, you just don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. To rejoice is a choice. Well, they just hurt me so deeply. And they said all kinds of things bad about me. It doesn't matter. To rejoice is a choice. Well, why did God spare them? Doesn't he know what evil they've done? It doesn't matter, Jonah. We rejoice anyway. Because God has a plan. And if we repent, we should rejoice when God, when God allows people to repent because we aren't so awesome ourselves sometimes and our halo gets a little crooked from time to time and we need to repent and i'm glad that god forgives others because i know he'll forgive me we need to make the choice to rejoice be full of joy now because all this pressure And all this affliction. And all this hardship. Why do we go through this? It produces patient and unswerving endurance. Why? Because you can look back and say, Well, if God brought me through that, I'll know He'll bring me through this. A long time ago, Mom was talking in service one day, and she called them altars of remembrance, where we look and see what God has done. And we know that if He brought us through that, then we will get through this if we follow His commands. If He brought us through this trial, we know that He'll be with us in this one. And we can stand fast in our faith, unwavering, following His commands, living to make Him look good, and doing it in joy. Verse 4, and endurance and fortitude develops maturity of character, approved faith, and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope that never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These tough times that we walk through produce unwavering endurance. That no matter what we go through in life, we can walk through it following God and obeying His commands. 
It produces a hope in us. That it doesn't matter how tough the situation is. It doesn't matter if things don't happen exactly like we think that they should happen. Because we have hope that God is working things for our good. We have hope that if we obey His commands, that He is going before us and making our crooked places straight. This hope never disappoints or shames us. This type of thinking when things don't go our way is going to require an intentional shift. And we're going to have to train our brain not to dump into pity party mode. Not to be, what about me, Lord? What about this? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't it happen like this? And stand fast and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. I trust you. It doesn't matter if things don't go my way. I trust you. What's that old song? I'm happy in the Lord anyway. And it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. I'm going to wear a smile, hold my head up high and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. That's what God wants for us. That no matter if it doesn't go how we think it should, we're happy anyway. Through Christ who gives us strength. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness. The Lord is near. He's coming soon. Don't fret or have anxiety about anything. Don't get stressed about anything. But in every circumstance and in every single thing, by prayer and petition and definite request with thanksgiving, continue to make your request known to God. And God's peace will be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. So fearing nothing from God and being content with this earthly lot, whatever sort it is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over you, over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy, of reverence and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious. If there's any virtue and excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think and weigh and take into account these things. Fix your minds on them. So when life doesn't go according to our plan, what are we to do? We're not to stress out. We're not to start going, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you weren't going to do what I wanted you to do anyway. We're to continue to have praise to God. We're not to stress or freak out. We're to rest in the peace of God and allow His peace to be our God. 
And then we're to change our thinking. So how do we not get caught in this Jonah mindset where we're just so upset and we're like, I just wish I would die. This is horrible. I can't believe all of this is happening. You know, all these people are repenting and all these people are getting right with God. And I just, I just wanted them all dead. How do we get out of that mindset? We make an intentional shift in our thinking. We switch our thinking to whatever is worthy of reverence. We switch our thinking to what is honorable. You know, if you start judging your thinking, it's something you can control. You can't think about two things at once. Sit here and think about an apple and a goat at the same time. Mona, that goat was free. Think about an apple and a goat at the same time. You can't do it. You might think about an apple eating a goat, but you can't focus in on two things at once. That's why multitasking doesn't really work. We all talk about how we can multitask in life and do everything. That's a false idea. We can do one thing at a time well. So we should guard our thinking. How are we not going to have these Jonah moments? We're going to guard our thinking. We're only going to think about what is good. If it's not good, kick it out. Replace the thought. We're only going to think of what is worthy of reverence and honorable. We're only going to think of what is pure. We're not going to let our mind think impure thoughts. We're only going to think of what is lovely and lovable. We're only going to think of what is kind and gracious. We're only going to think of what is a virtue and excellence. If we focus in and only think on those things, our entire attitude will shift. We won't have those Jonah moments. We'll be excited that Nineveh repented. Look at Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. But be glad and rejoice evermore in that which I created. For behold, I created Jerusalem to be a rejoicing and her people a joy. God created you to be a joy. Not a lemon. Not a sourpuss. He created you to be a joy. Have you ever looked at somebody before and said, well, isn't she a peach? And you didn't mean that in a positive way. She's a real peach. God wants you to be a joy. A joy to be around. Bring a joyful atmosphere wherever you go. Not get this snarled up lemon face going on. But rejoice. Push your glasses up a little further and be happy anyway. Be a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And the sound of weeping will no more be heard in it or the cry of distress. God wants us to be a joy anyway. Even if things don't go our way, we should learn to be content. Look at Philippians four ten through 14. I was made very happy in the Lord that now you have revived your interest in my welfare. After such a long time, you were indeed thinking of me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Okay, so Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's like, 
I'm glad that you're finally interested in me again. It's been a long time. I haven't heard from you. It's good to know that you hadn't quit thinking about me. Because why? He thought the people at Philippi had turned on him because he hadn't heard from him in a while. They hadn't been in contact. They hadn't been supporting him like they had used to. And he thought that he had done he had done something wrong or something had happened and he had lost the relationship. But he said, I was made happy that you have revived your interest in my welfare. You were thinking of me but just had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm implying that I was in personal want. For I've learned how to be content. Satisfied to the point where I'm no longer disquieted or disturbed in whatever state I'm in. I know how to be a base and live humbly in straightened circumstances. And I know how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I've learned in any and all circumstances the secret... So Paul's going to tell us a secret. The secret of facing every situation, whether you're well-fed or you're going hungry, whether you have sufficiency and enough to spare or you're going without and you're in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses my inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. But it was right and commendable and noble of you to contribute for my needs and to share difficulties with me. Paul's telling us the secret. Don't be disturbed no matter what happens. Know that you have Christ on the inside of you. And He is infusing you with inner strength to walk through things even if we don't agree with how life is going. We can walk through it with joy. We can walk through it with contentment. We can walk through it with rejoicing. We don't have to be like Jonah and mad at the world and wanting to die just because things didn't go our way. We need to forgive. We need to let go. We need to not hold bitterness and resentment and hatred within us. And you know, Jonah was battling this because he did not like the people of Nineveh at all. And he was battling some unforgiveness in his heart. And he didn't want to see good come to him. He wanted them to experience evil for all the evil that they had done. But Jesus said in Matthew six fourteen through 15 If you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them and letting them go, and giving up the resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, if you do not forgive their reckless and their willful sins, leaving them and letting them go and giving up the rights to be resentful. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a very powerful verse of scripture. God doesn't want us to get caught up in bitterness. He doesn't want us to get caught up in dislike for other people and unforgiveness. Why? 
Because Jesus said, if we can't forgive others, God cannot forgive us. And I don't know about you, but I need the forgiveness of God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of eternity. I don't want to stand before God one day and Him tell me, you know, you really just couldn't stand that person. And you just let it eat you up from the inside out. And even though you prayed to be forgiven, because of your hatred and your bitterness in your heart towards them, I cannot forgive you. Depart from me. I don't want to have that conversation with God one day. So how do we not take on the attitude of Jonah? We choose to forgive. We choose to realize that it's not about us. It's not about how the world should go according to Kelly. Because believe me, I have a plan. But it's not about how the world should go according to me. It's about how it should go according to God and His will and following His commands. Rejoicing anyway. Living in contentment in the spot that we're in right now like Paul was talking about. Whether it's with a bunch or whether it's with not enough. Being content. Standing fast in our faith without wavering. Knowing He is faithful who has promised. Living to make Him look good. Living a lifestyle of joy and forgiveness and repentance. Let's stand. God, we thank You that we can walk in joy. We thank You, Father, that we don't have to be stuck in life and stuck in our situation we thank you Lord that we don't have to have the same mindset as Jonah thank you for joining us today we would love to hear from you you can write to us at post office box 1004 that's P.O. Box 1004 Monticello Arkansas 71657 or you can email us at lci.monticello at gmail.com We would love to hear from you. You can also check out our website. It's www.getlife.co. That's www.getlife.co. There you can find Pastor Kelly and Pastor Josh's sermon notes, and you can see what's going on all through the week at Life Church. We would love to have you in one of our services with us. Join us Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for a worship service. Pastor Kelly ministers, and it's a great time in the presence of God. Or you can join us for Digging Deep on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Josh digs into the Word of God, connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament, and giving us a fresh biblical perspective from God's point of view. We hope that you have a great week this week. Remember, go live to make God look good. God bless you till we're with you again.